Howdy, howdy, and welcome to my bloody Judy with your final forgets, myself, Zachary Patton Garcia. And Ian Carlos Crawford. And today we're here with our opening kill from Freaky. Introduce yourself. Misha Ushurovitz, that's me. <laughs> Could you say your last name again? Because I was going to ask you to do that right before we started recording, D. Sure, sure. It's Oshirovich. It's it's actually pretty simple, but people see it, they get super intimidated. So even syllables, Oshirovich. Well, I thought it was Osherovich, so I had that in my head already. <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's confusing. Okay. Yeah, so um, uh, as this episode goes up, uh, our freaky episode is probably already out. Um, and this is one of the stars of that movie. Kind of tell us a little bit about who you played. I played Josh Detmer in Freaky. He is basically anything but the token gay best friend. Um, he's incredibly gay, he's incredibly proud, and he's uh, one of Millie's uh, best friends that uh, kind of moves the plot forward and uh, you know, ultimately is one of the people that gets super involved in like fighting the bad guy. Yeah. What was it like? What, like, tell us about getting the role and like auditioning and stuff. Sure. So I was I was living in New York at the time, and New York auditions are a special kind of crazy because some of them are in person and some of them are on tape, but they're all over the city. So I actually had a what I thought was a more important audition that same day downtown in New York. I live really far downtown. Put the Zoom together, kind of just like now. I just like hurried down. I sat down with the director. I'm like, yeah, this is the role. It's great. And, you know, it is a really fun script, but it's a, it read like a really outrageous gay best friend. And the director asked me at the end of that kind of session, he goes, what, if anything, should I know about you wanting to play this role or you playing this role? I'm like, look, if you give me this role, I'm going to make this kid a human. I'm not going to just let him be like the token gay kind of stereotypical best friend. And that's clearly what you wrote. You wrote a kid with heart and like humanity, but I'm going to make sure to bring it out and then some. And apparently I said the right thing because I got the role and yeah, I did not perfect. get the role later that day. <laughs> I love that you got it like by like kind of petitioning for more nuance. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, uh, look, Chris Landon has a, the director has a really particular style. And it's funny because he's known kind of in the horror community for being both uh, the person that has some of the best kills and some of the best kind of like tropic shock value, but also he, his characters have a kind of surprising amount of heart. Um, so I just kind of wanted to play to that. I, I, I saw clearly that he and Michael Kennedy, his co-writer, had written a kid that was so much more than just a token. And I wanted to bring that out for sure it's important to have that nuance um, because in the past you do have the gay characters or, you know, the stereotypical characters who were, you know, the one-off kills and then they, they don't have much dimension to them anyway. Um, and I, I yeah, I, I liked your performance in this movie and I really liked how they described the gay kid as excited. That was my favorite yeah. line in the entire yep. movie. Yeah. Ian, Ian just laughed her asses off at that. Um, but as an actor, so what what kind of stories are you looking to tell? So you play you you play this gay kid and you want to put a little bit of nuance in there, but what other stories are you really wanting to tell through your acting? I mean, I I was genuinely surprised when I booked this film. Like truly honest about surprise, namely because I am not I do not consider myself funny. I don't walk around this world thinking, oh, I'm hilarious. Uh, I'm usually the kid that they hire to cry. That's been my bread and butter up until uh, Freaky. So in general, I mean, I love drama as a genre. I also love 
horror when it comes to like the more psychological sort of like mental health oriented like how can we make people go absolutely insane hereditary type stuff um mm. that's always yeah that's always kind of where i've seen myself on the more dramatic side of things but stories that i want to tell um i mean we were talking about a, a little bit about this before we pressed record but like i i had a very particular upbringing i i struggled and still struggle with a lot of mental health issues i'm quite open about it and i'd love to tell more kind of dramatic impactful very well written artful stories about like mental health and especially teens dealing with mental health that means a lot to me yeah we we did an episode on hereditary um and i think we both kind of felt like that's one of those movies where it would be good without the horror elements like it would still be like mm -hmm. a really good movie about grief um mm -hmm. and then the horror elements just like of course escalated to like bananas levels of like shit that happened but like it's so well yeah like it's yeah i, I like that kind of horror too Mm -hmm. And those stories that you're wanting to tell and, and would be more interested in telling, um, how how few and far between are they when you go out on auditions or you get, uh, you know, I don't know how the acting world works, but like you hear about, you know, a project or something like that and you go out for it. Um, I mean, how how many of those sorts of projects even are there being made? You not a ton. And, you know, it's funny. There's this there's this. Uh, kind of a walking joke, if you will, that uh, euphoria has been sort of the the North Star of like, oh my, go oh my goodness, teens deal with mental health and look how like artful a TV show can be about it. No shit. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I have to say that we are in a really interesting time right now. Obviously the pandemic has people consuming so much content. So in a way it's very exciting because I'm getting more auditions and hearing about more uh, roles and like seeing where projects get developed as my phone goes crazy. Shush, not now. Um, and uh, it, it's amazing that more and more content is being created, but there's there's only so many writers and directors that have a, a lot of faith in their audience. And that's, I think, where Euphoria really shines and that it has faith in people realizing that mental health and drama within the teen world that sure it's sexy to an extent but it's quite real and grounded is like molasses the the evil the the big bad if you will to use horror terms is everywhere teens are just dealing with this oppressive thing called growing up and i i'm really interested in stories about that and that's what i want to write create act in and there's still a lot of content that doesn't trust audiences enough mm -hmm. to really digest that yeah i would agree with that yeah i I I love a nuanced teen anything like Buffy's my favorite show. I love like anything mm. where it's like watching teens go through and like the when you know that the writers trust that, yes, these teens would have these like they're not like, oh, they're just like writing them as like silly whatever. Like, I don't know. Well, they're I, not half formed humans. They're fully fleshed out human beings. They're just growing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and the horror genre, it doesn't get nearly enough credit for really going there in terms of, you know, showing different sides of humanity and showing the ugly in, and, and all that. Um, and, and like you're saying, there's a lot of, I don't know, studios, directors, all of them who, who don't trust the audience is how you put it. I feel, I mean, there's some bad horror movies out there. There's some really, really bad sure. horror movies out there, but I, I feel like horror as, as a general genre, 
does trust the audience and they're kind of, you know, they give a little bit more credit to the audience in terms of like, well, we trust that you can follow along here. I, I completely agree with you. And I think that the other magical thing about horror, which is what I learned after being in a horror film and like moving to LA and being kind of, again, like dropped into the deep end of the queer horror world, because it's a really kind of insular group of amazing people here. And one thing that I learned pretty quickly is that Horror already is on the fringe. It's a genre that is already on the outside and a bit in the other. Last time we all checked, so is being queer. queer being queer is literally being in the other, on the outside. So when you combine those two things, and I, a horror in its own way is a bit inherently queer. It's inherently about situations and people that find themselves in the other and then struggle to either get to the middle of society and be accepted, or they fight to maintain their individuality. And so horror, like you said, I think it's actually a really great way to talk about bigger and darker and more important messages through a genre that is not always like on the nose. Usually there's a chainsaw involved, but it's still about important shit. <laughs> well, it's the genre that'll go there when other ones won't. You know, the other, other genres might just touch on it slightly, but horror is a genre that will allow its performers to, you know, go full throttle in that. Um, you know, we were talking about Hereditary. Her, Tony Collette's performance was amazing, and it didn't get Incredible. nearly enough, you know, props, you know, as it deserved. How much do you like horror as just, as a genre? Okay. Um, okay. Are you a so horror I, fan? I like to say that I used to be horror curious. Then I was okay. in a horror film and learned a bit more about horror. So now I'm a horror fan, not a horror expert. Let's let's put it that way. Okay, that's fair. I feel yes. like that's that's kind of where I like throw myself because there's so many people like Zach knows way more about horror than I do. And there's so many people that, you know, they can like reference an actor who's been like only in five horror movies, but like they, they were like an iconic role in five different horror movies. But that's it. Like we watched Black Christmas together. I don't know any of those people were, but like a lot of them are. <laughs> Yeah. in that in that world i mean yeah. that, that's that's honestly what it's like hanging out with the folks that made freaky whether it's chris lands and michael kennedy or even so i um i met sam weinman who's kind of like the unofficial like queen king whatever you want to call him of horror uh here he's actually working on a documentary that i was just a part of about queerness and horror with shutter and hanging out with him is exactly like that. It's, you can bring up the color of the fucking sky and he will say, well, that's really similar to the color palette in this horror film. And this is a mental health allegory that that film had. I'm like, it's so cool. I think it's, I, 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 I nerd out on nerds. People that nerd out on horror and are really good about like bringing up references. Oh, I think it's the coolest thing. Yeah. So what's your preferred type of horror? If you had to pick a horror movie that was like the banner for the horror films that you enjoy, what would that be? I, I really like psychological horror. I really mm -hmm. do. Um, but I it, I don't know if we're leading this, but I'm going to like jump the gun. My favorite horror film is actually not a psychological horror film. It's Jennifer's Body by far. Oh, really? I, I don't even know if yes. Ian and I have ever even talked about that. <laughs> oh, I, I love Jennifer's Body. I think, I mean, as, as I agree with the internet that I think it was very much uh, ahead of its time and it kind of got, you know, between like the sex appeal aspect, very straight male gaze of it all, you know, two women getting sexual with each other. Um, I, and it, that kind of like took the precedent and didn't allow the film to like really be the messaging that it wanted to be. But I think that film is some of the most perfect combination of you have otherworldly and demonic elements, but they're not hitting you over the head in that you get distracted by it and it kind of overshadows the rest of the film. There's real tangible power dynamics between not only women, but teenage women 
I, I think it's pretty remarkable. And I think it speaks a lot to like how women are treated, viewed, and how they have to fight back in society. So I, I love that film. So Zach and I, like Zach is more, well, Zach, you look kind of like everything. A little bit of everything, yeah. Yeah, I'm more of like a, a stream gal myself. Like, I like sure. those type of, you know. Yeah, Anne's very into the horror comedies. Uh, yeah. So, um, so this was freaky. I was nervous about freaky. I have to admit because I'm not, oh, I'm not yeah. somebody who, who immediately goes for a horror comedy. You know, um, it's either hit or miss for me, and sometimes they can sure. be like spectacularly bad. Um, and I was very surprised by how much I did like it. Like we, we really both enjoyed it very, very much. Um, oh, I'm so glad. You know, I think yeah. there's something to be said for, I mean, Zach mentioned, our, we both laughed so hard at the part where, like, the police officer's like, and the one kid is, uh, excited. excited. Like, that felt like a joke written by a queer person, right? Like, it didn't... Yeah. I think in, like, if a straight person had written that, it would have been more ham-fisted or would have been, I don't know, but, like, that felt like, oh, this is someone who's, like, queer and in on the joke, like, the way a straight person well, would describe a queer person. Completely. I mean, that, and the, I really have to say that I feel so incredibly lucky, only in that... Our, our two co-writers were queer and they're not only queer, but they, they made a point from the get-go that my character in particular, Josh, was a character that they wanted to see the superhero kind of queer kid in high school that they never got to see growing up, both loving horror films. So I kind of felt a good amount of responsibility, but also incredibly lucky that I was in those hands from the get. And to be frank with y'all, it really showed. Like, even like, I just found out a couple days ago that I got nominated for a Queerty Award. Um, nice. For my, thank you. And and it's, that's the, those, those awards are chosen, voted for, and awarded by the queer community. So that is so incredibly validating. And anytime anybody asks me, I make sure to mention exactly what y'all just brought up, which is, these are two queer filmmakers that really injected their queerness in the most loving way into making this film. So it's really mm -hmm. freaking cool. And, you know, I think that it's wild to think of, like, I think of Scream as so, such a, like a, a, like a very, like a lot of the fans of Scream are queer, right? Like, yeah. and it's wild that there aren't queer characters in those movies. Um, and, you know, there's like in the fourth one, the one kid says, wait, I'm gay. But like, mm, is he, is he just joking? I think he's just joking. Right. Um, and I think it's like, this was like the first time I've seen queer characters exist and be able to be funny, but also like, like I said, it just, it was nice to see that like, you know, your character survived, your character was very capable, but it was still like unapologetically queer. They're like, no one was sacrificing their femininity or their the, like true to themselves-ness of it. And lots of times it's like, even if it's like a final girl, if she's straight, she'll become like more like tough and butch by the end because like that's... Mm you know, what they think you need to be to be the hero. Well, that's the straight male gaze of it all, right? I mean, I and I didn't even think about that psychology until I started talking with, again, this pod of horror queers in Hollywood. But, like, the straight male gaze is real. It affects everything, down to, like, the final yeah. girl having to become more muscular, butch, kind of powerhouse just to survive. Final girls are kind of queer avatars. It's, yeah. it's, it's what... A so, I mean, look, we have this we have this phenomenon throughout queer history, like we idolize divas, we we think, especially the female pop star, we think they're incredible, they're powerhouses, we fangirl over them, but there's a reason for that, because they are unapologetically embodying the powerhouse, some femininity sore, but also, sure, but also strength and fabulousness that we wish, especially wished we were able to do when we were younger, and maybe not so accepted for who we were. So mm -hmm. I... 
I think that final girls are just another diva that queers idolize. At least that's my theory about like why we gravitate towards them so much. That's certainly why I do. Like it's not a horror film by by many stretches, but films like Practical Magic, where like there's like powerhouse witches doing absolutely anything and everything they have to while looking fabulous to win the battle against the several big bads in that film. And I I remember as a kid being like, I wanna be that. I personally didn't want to, you know, be a woman. I mean, now like fuck gender, yeah. yay, non-binary, <laughs> woohoo. But like, I wanted to be that strong and that confident in all of my various forms of fabulousness. So I think that's what final girls represent for a lot of queers, especially. Mm -hmm. I think that fabulousness also is, is just, it's a perfect word for it because it does permeate into just film in general. Like you, you look at Charlie's Angel, so, the, we, we just had a Charlie's Angels movie that came out, and it didn't do all yeah. that well, but but then you think about the Charlie's Angels movies that came out, what, in the early 2000s? Like, they were fabulous, like, through and through, you know? Ooh, like, they, yeah. they they wore the best clothes, They their hair was always perfect, every battle. Um, and that does kind of go into, you know, Final Girls, you think of Jessica Biel. Like, that that is, you know, the male gaze projected onto, because that's a... Uh, a male director, a male film filmmaker that is, is projecting that look onto her, but right. um, like it, it worked. And so there's that weird like balance of like, yes, it works, but then also it is that male gay. So where, where would you make those changes? You're creating a final girl. <laughs> what would you change? Well, well, I think you bring up such an interesting point because the, the straight male gaze of it all is something that, for example, a bit kind of sort of tanked, especially the marketing of something like Jennifer's body, right? Um, because that's all that they were focusing on. Yeah. But you're absolutely right that what we, uh, what uh, many people, not just queer people, but what many people find so attractive and amazing about Final Girls is that kind of almost implausible fabulousness while they are built, you know, miring through blood, blood and guts and all that kind of shit. I... I actually don't think that the product needs to change much. I think it's the intention. It's the same reason okay. why, yeah, it's the same reason why y'all were saying that Freaky just kind of worked, even though we've seen it time and time again, you know, gay people in horror, um, the car chase in horror. There's so many things that Freaky isn't like wildly original. It doesn't like reinvent the wheel when it comes to horror films. It just does it with really solid intention of highlighting the awesomeness of, for example, being queer or in mm -hmm. my, you know, my co-star uh, Celeste's case, being black and proud of it. And I, yeah. I think... I think when it comes to like final girls, I, I don't know that again, the product needs to change much. I just think that focusing on them being fabulous because they love themselves, they are proud of who they are and they're a strong female queer character, whoever they are, that will just make it so much more soulful as opposed to just being sexy so that the straight white execs can get off while they watch the screener. <laughs> Perfectly <laughs> said. Perfectly said. They came with notes today. <laughs> no, no, no. I came with caffeine today. That's very different. <laughs> no, no, one of the big things I did like about your character in Freaky is that you were a character. And like, you know, um, like we said, we already said, you know, you had nuance and stuff like that. But you were a character. You were in there. You weren't just a two-scene, you know, gay best friend who's going to either die or disappear off screen. Like, you were throughout the movie. Um as was your co-star, and y'all, you know, even arguably, I don't know, I, I don't know how much screen time y'all had versus uh, the main character, but it, it seemed about equal, you know, we were jumping back and forth, um, so, I don't know, I liked it, it did, it did just work. 
Well, I mean, I was just talking with uh, Michael Kennedy, the co-writer, along with Chris Landon, about exactly that. We all actually do have pretty much equal screen time, so good, good eye, because we, Michael Kennedy, just for shits, kind of like uh, timed it out recently, and we, we really do have equal screen time because it's it's weirdly an ensemble film, and I think that's another thing that makes the. I mean, even like whether it's the the kind of the quad of like Vince Vaughn. Uriah, the kind of love interest straight boy, Celeste and myself, whether it's our quad or whether it's uh, Catherine when she's, you know, as the butcher, like, you know, like fucking shit up and like, you know, chainsawing people in half. Um, it's, it's a film that very equally focuses on several storylines because it's about a group of friends. It's not about one hot girl. It's not about one serial killer. It's about a group of friends. Do you catch your, do you watch yourself back? Like in these movies? I, I do. And, and I, I, you know, here's the thing though. I'm, uh, everybody has their own process, but as I mentioned to y'all before, so I'm a writer too. And I'm actually, that's very much what I've been spending most of my quarantine kind of doing is pushing a couple projects forward and, you know, getting notes and uh, continuing to rewrite the script. I'm learning that that part of my brain is far more developed than a lot of actors that I know. And that's not, I don't know that if I'm the best writer in the world, but I'm a very visual person. So if you write something and tell me how it's supposed to look and the emotion behind it, that's what I need to get there. And I will watch the tape back. I, there was many times during Freaky where I wanted to make sure that I was giving an organic performance. So I, with yeah. Chris's permission, went over to Video Village and I watched the take back. And if I felt like I delivered all the puzzle pieces that the editor needed, then we could move on. But honestly, there was a time and Chris got a little testy with me, but the it's a, the, it's a slaughterhouse moment. I think I shot that entrance easily 12 or 13 times. It's a very small bit. And you know, it's in the trailer, it's funny, it's great. But I remember distinctly, it's the last take of that that we use because I just couldn't get it until I finally said, I'm going to Video Village, I'm watching a couple of them back. And then I saw what I wasn't, what I wanted more of and I went and I did it. So hmm. I'm a very visual person in that way. I do watch myself back. And so how hard do you think you are on yourself? Oh yeah. Um, to, <laughs> if, to, if, if you had gotten to like, I don't know, on, on that, that slaughterhouse part, if you'd gotten to like take 18, do you just kind of wrap it up or do you, do you keep pushing it? You know, I, I want so badly to be the be, like heartfelt, soulful actor that tells you that, you know, it, the, the good take is in there and you just have to move on and believe in yourself. And sometimes that woo-ha bullshit is absolutely the, the truth. <laughs> but sometimes I especially find this like when I'm taping auditions at home because, you know, everything's on tape right now. We're not going in the room. Obviously, there's an right. apocalypse. Um, <laughs> but we, I will get to like take number 20. I'll get really frustrated. I'll not. I'll, I'll. I'll have a come to Jesus with myself and figure out what's going wrong, and then I go in to take twenty one with a yeah. fresh mindset and knowing what I want. So I'm a push through kind of person, but I'm also a perfectionist, okay. and that can really get in my way. You know, I say this about most things. Like I'm not. I feel like when something feels. You can take a trope, and if you make it queer, I'm instantly more invested. And I felt like. Sure. Like, I don't know, that, like, always gets me, doesn't always mean it's well done, but with here, it, like, was both. It was like, oh, we're gonna, but we're gonna, like, add queer characters, we're gonna add, you know, make it, the best friends are more diverse than best friends are in, you know, most horror movies already. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, it, it just worked, and, like, you know, I think of something like Love, Simon. If that were a straight story about, you know, I'd be like, eh, I'm bored. But, like, Love, yeah. Simon is very cute, and I found myself crying, and I'm, like, rolling my eyes at myself, but I don't know, I think it doesn't hurt to be like, let's just make it a little queer. Like, let's add queer characters, you know? 
Well, I, I don't, I think you're absolutely right, but there's a really interesting, I'm going to counter you a little bit only uh -huh. in that. Well, I mean, just think about it for a second. How many, like the Christmas switch part fives do straight people get in terms of like, you know, like they get to have their shitty romantic, you know, comedies or even horror films that just aren't that good, but they're, you know, they're like candy. You eat them and they're kind of fun to watch for half of it. Um, but with with queer content in general, we don't get that luxury. Everything that we do for the most part as queer people and especially as queer content creators is under a microscope because it's often the first or close to the first. And so it has to be quote unquote good. Otherwise it gets panned by critics in a way that the Christmas Switch part seven would never get you know, <laughs> criticized. Um, and I'm just really, I'm honestly, I'm honestly excited for queer content to be so regularly produced with such high quality that sometimes we get our, our Christmas switch and it's okay and it's fun to watch because it doesn't have to be the pinnacle of goodness. It's one of many queer projects out there. That's what I'm yeah, saying. And, um, and, and, you know, with queer content, like, it is such under such a microscope. And I guess the, the goal is to, like, let it go further out a little bit more so it can just be, you know, a shitty Hallmark gay movie. And, you know, yeah. it, that has four sequels, but, you know, it is under, under such a microscope. And not only from just the general public, but I feel like queer people are a little bit extra hard on their own content. I mean, look, I think also queer people, uh, queer people are understandably hard on their own community in that way because we want we want legitimacy we mm -hmm. just like when we were fighting for marriage equality just like when we were fighting for trans awareness or are fighting for trans awareness and respect when it comes to the entire spectrum of the LGBT, lgbtqia plus community we want legitimacy so we are demanding it of ourselves and that can get a little toxic sometimes i'm fully aware yeah. of that i that can get we our standards can be a bit too high in terms of like constantly demanding excellence when sometimes excellence isn't what actually the, the soup needs if you will but um we, I, I'm just really excited for when we kind of move past that and there's just enough of us and our content and our, and our souls out there that the whole gamut can be enjoyable and amazing and entertainment. You're mentioning all these like Hallmark Christmas movies. I All I can think of is um, Happiest Season. Yeah. Is that the name of it? We yeah, had that's three this year. I think we had Happiest Season, we had Dashing in December, and then there was, uh, uh, there was the, another one like about a train station or something. Yeah, there's like a lifetime one, a Hallmark one, and right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, I think of like, I I enjoyed watching it, right? I mean, did I think it was you know Academy Award winning film? No, but it was like, all right, this is it was cute. a superior like yeah cable like, holiday film. Though. Yes, yes, right. it was like it was, it was for what it was. It was well done, and honestly, yeah. honestly. I'm just enjoying the discourse it's creating on the internet because like, yeah. you know, there's legitimate problems with the relationship in that film. Right. But, but I think, I think, I mean, some of their PR spins have actually been pretty perfect. They're like, yeah, the film's not perfect. So let's make more. That's literally yeah. what the PR about of the film has been saying. So great. If that's a result, fine. Yeah. And like, yeah, yeah and sure. He... Give us like, give us seven of those movies. Sure. I'll watch them every Christmas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> seven happiest seasons. But, uh, no, that's credit to Clea Duvall who, who made that movie. You know, I feel like when there is queer content that is being spearheaded by queer people, I mean, they are the ones that are going to take extra care of this project because they know they, that it is under a microscope and it has to be worth it um or else it's not going to be made anymore you know that's just right. just the business of of all of this is if nobody had watched happiest season it, there would not even be talks of any other happiest season movies uh, right so i mean queer people take a little bit better care of their queer content than 
uh, everybody else. <laughs> the, the straights, if you will. Yeah. Well, Misha, okay. I think you, you make a good point, though, that, like, I always go back and forth with that, too, whether it's, like, we're criticizing it too much or whether it's, like, just the right amount or, like, it's some I, like, waver back and forth with where I land on that because I do think sometimes it's, like, maybe we're being too harsh on this because these straight projects aren't getting criticized at all. Eh, but then I'm like, oh, but I do want the queer projects to be, not to sound like fucking Melania, but to be the best, right? Like, I do want sure. them to <laughs> be best. <laughs> I'm surprised nobody brought up Auntie Gay. That's what I'm thinking of. But oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that'll be oh, that'll, that needs to be a horror movie. Somebody's got. Honestly, I was as I said it, I was thinking that. What does Auntie Gay as a horror film look like? I'll call up Blumhouse. We'll have a conversation. There you go. Okay, so uh, Freaky. If you were making a sequel to Freaky, what what would that what would that look like? How'd you do even... it? See, okay, so obviously, if I did it, I would make it even more queer. But it, <laughs> but the the fact of the matter is, in the kind of fun gossip that I'm hearing about, you know, what might happen in the future or might not, but. Um, it's, I believe a freaky sequel would be something along the lines of the same thing that Chris Landon did, you know, with like Happy Death Day 2. More body swaps, more kills, more everything. Um, and if I had any say in it, more queer. And that's that. I love that. I think going forward, doubling body swaps would be such an insane idea that it might even actually work. I will say that I consider myself a very creative person, Mm -hmm. but like even being on set, with Chris and Michael and just hearing them bounce ideas back and forth, be it about freaky or other things in their lives. I'm like, you guys are nerds. <laughs> you're just like, you're, you're straight up geeks that think of ideas in a factory sort of producing way that I can only wish I will get there one day. And that's because they've been writing for a while, but like yeah. they're, the ideas that I've heard bounced around for a freaky sequel or anything similar is they're wild. So, you know, hopefully get ready. <laughs> Well, I hope we get it. (laughs) All right. Well, Misha, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you? Sure. And do Um, any promo you want. (laughs) Sure. Okay. Fun. Um, I'm really cool. I'm awesome to hang out with. And Um, um, that's absolutely not true. I'm at Misha Oshirovich on all platforms. I'm the only one in existence. So go forth and figure out how to find me because that's, you know, spelled one way, O-S-H-E-R-O-B-S-E-H and come at me. We thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I hope you are listening to this in conjunction with our freaky episode, about 40 minutes long. So uh, go check it out if you haven't seen that movie. And we Thank you for listening. Bye, everyone. Bye.